0: To learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. Welcome to the Cybertraps podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming from Washington. I'm the host of the podcast, Transformative Principal and author of the book, School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You.
1: Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Lane, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently, Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and the misuse of digital devices.
0: Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the nation's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, cyber safety, and more. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world.
1: And it's my pleasure to give a shout out to our initial mission partner, Buoyancy Digital is proud to be the inaugural mission partner for Cybertrap's podcast series. A digital advertising consultancy with an ethos, Buoyancy was founded by Scott Rabinowitz, who has been in digital media since 1997 and has overseen $300 million in youth safety compliant ad buys across all digital platforms. For IAB, Google, and Bing accredited brand and audience safe advertising sales solutions, media buying, and an organizational training for media publishers, give Buoyancy Digital a call. For more information on working with Scott and Buoyancy Digital, visit buoyancydigital.com or Scott R. Media on LinkedIn. Yeah,
0: well, I'm excited to welcome today, Marlena Gross Taylor. She is an amazing school leader, and she's the founder of EduGladiators, which started out as a hashtag and has now become this big organization that publishes books and really focuses on what doing what is best for kids. She is also an author, a speaker, and a consultant, and someone that I have looked up to for many years. So, uh, Marlena, welcome to the Cyber Traps podcast.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Jethro and Fred, for having me on here. This is such a pleasure to spend some time talking with you two.
0: Yeah, well, we're excited to talk to you. You have a different perspective than most. And one of the things that we're going to get into is talking about screen time and how that works. And so I want to start by talking about screen time for you and your two boys. I think you have two boys.
2: Yes. Okay, that's
0: right. Um, So they're in college now. And one of the things that you have said that's really fascinating to me is that they actually learned when you taught them about screen time when they were kids, which just sounds unfathomable sometimes. So tell us a little bit about how you taught them about screen time when they were younger and how that's playing out now.
2: Absolutely. So I'm from the South. For those of you that may not know me, I'm from Louisiana, so you may not be able to hear it in my voice, but there will be terms that I use that will definitely convince you that, yep, she's from the bayou. And one of the things that uh, being from the bayou, from the deep South, that one of the ideals, I'll say, that we often go by is if mama said it, then it's, that's what it is, right? Like mama said so. And, and if you don't do what mama says, you're going to go to hell because we're super religious in the South. So I brought my boys up with that mindset and, and my, my undergrad degrees in psychology, specializing in adolescent behavior. So I knew how important it was on messaging. And when you're raising kids, how important it is that you message the things that you want them to do in such a way that it doesn't create uh, a desire for them to do it anyway. Right? You take the, you take the taboo out of it. And so when it came to screen time, I was very resistant to them having a cell phone. And that's before all of the smartphones. We had the Blackberry at that time when they were in elementary. But uh, their dad wanted them to have a phone and and all of that. So um, I knew then I had to phrase that very differently. And so we would have conversations around screen time uh, and balancing it with their activities. Now, my boys play sports and they still do in college, but balancing that activity with your homework, with times to just play out in the neighborhood with your friends and then time to sleep. So that was the foundation of you only have so many hours in a day. And so you need to be very mindful of where you, where you spend those few times, right? Time is a, is a precious commodity. And so as they received their cell phones, we had certain rules around that. And when they were in lower elementary they could not have their phones on at night, like after eight o'clock, they needed to turn their phones off. Um, now, because I would set this up, I didn't have to say, you need to put it on my dresser in the, in the bedroom, you know, to make sure that they didn't do it. You, that was going to bed or getting ready for bed routine. Turn your phone off, put it in the charger so we can charge fast, right? Instead of me saying, just turn it off, put it on so we can charge a lot faster if you're not using it and it'll be ready for you all day you know, the next day it was part yeah. of our routine.
0: Let me, let me just stop right there for a second, because one of the things you said is it's important to have kids do the things that you want them to do and communicate it in such a way that they'll actually do it instead of rebel against it. And that's a really good example of using a strategy to help you convince them why it's valuable and that you glossed over that because that's just what you did. But I think that's so important to take a step back and say, there's a purpose for it. And that is something that I that I share in common with you that I've told my kids that charges a lot faster. In fact, we say, if you need to use it while it's plugged in, then you're not using it correctly because it should be prepared and ready for you to go. And if you're using it so long, the battery's drained all the way down, then you've obviously been on too long it's time to put it away. And, um, and I just want to tell a real quick story about that because it's so, so awesome. My daughter, we, my wife and I were getting on her about doing something and she said, well, I can't cause the computer's dead. And we, uh, we said, well, you can just plug it in while you're using it. And she looked at us like we were crazy because she was like, why in the world would I do that? And it was, there was, she had no understanding that you could actually use it while it was plugged in because we'd intentionally taught them. We, we don't use the devices when the batteries are dead because we've been on them too long. And so she just understood innately, uh, we don't need to do that. So I, I appreciate you saying that and I'm sorry for interrupting, but go ahead and, and finish where you were at with, with working with your boys.
2: No, you're, you're right. You know, and thank you for pointing that out because it's just what I do and I did gloss over that fact. Right. Um, and that's a, to me, that's a key part in parenting is how you, how you position the things you want your kids to do. So that was part of our routine. And, um, and so we would do that. And I also would share as they got older, because they're going to ask questions why so as they would get older, then I could talk to them about when you are on your phone too late as well. And then with video games, so I transitioned this to video games too. it is hard for you to go to sleep because your brain even though when you turn it off, your brain is still going like you're on the phone or like you're on your video game, and it's harder to go to sleep. And you have to wake up early to go to school because we can't be late for school. And so finding those chunks of time where you turn things off, right, where you can manage manage your time, that was the message to my boys. And so I never had to have that conversation. Like you know, like I said, give it to me or put it in a basket. But for some people, if they need to do that. They need to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, so even to this day in college. Um, and while well, I saw in high school, my boys wanted this new game that was coming out, uh, my oldest son in particular, and he could not wait to get it. And I had to get it on the day that it came out. It was before you could download it directly to the gaming system. We had to go to go to GameStop and go grab it. And so I thought for sure he would binge a little bit and play. Right. Like he'd done all of his homework. He could do that. He didn't. He said, I can't do it because I have some homework to do. And I know I have football practice or whatever the sport at the time was. It was football at that time. You know, I have have practice, but I just need to have it so I know when I can do it, it's there. So that short-term gratification of getting the game, he did not binge on it. He waited until... He had time like three days later before he actually played it, but he could talk to his friends about, I still have it, you know? (laughs) Um, And so those, those, those limits are those, those routines. I like to say routines, actually, it it just kind of naturally went into how they, how they monitor their time for their video games.
1: That's really brilliant stuff, Marlene. I, I think the phrase that pops into my mind is emotional muscle memory. You know, basically you're creating patterns and practices of behavior that serve them in different ways. And that's actually one of the things that we talk a fair amount about on this podcast. That the idea is to give these is to give our kids, all of our kids, an opportunity to really develop the kinds of habits that they can cross-pollinate in various aspects of what they do. And I really, I love the other implicit message I think you're talking about, which is introducing kids to the concept of budgeting. You know, I think when you're young, one of the, one of the challenges is that time looks infinite, right? When you're 16 years old, it just stretches ahead of you. And it's a great lesson to remind kids that it's a finite resource. And this is kind of, Uh, theoretical or philosophical, it's uh, it's a finite resource that we don't know the extent of. And that's the Mm -hmm. real thing for kids to absorb, I think. So it sounds like they got a great lesson.
2: Absolutely. And I'll say this too, it's important for us as it was important for me and their dad to model it as well. So another one was we don't have phones at the dinner table. Like, I do not need my grandparents to come speak to me from the grave because we're on cell phones instead of enjoying, you know, dinner as a family. And so yours
1: uh, are hanging out with mine then on that one.
2: (laughs) So that's something that we had to remind them not often, but they would remind us if we were on the phone, especially if we were out to dinner. Right. If we went out to eat and they would quickly say, "Uh, mom, dad, phone. And so we're also holding each other accountable for that.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about a few specific ways that we can talk with our kids about screen time and and how we have the limits. So making it safe for them to hold us accountable as well, I think, is a good place to start. And then also being clear about what our expectations are. What other advice do you have for people to talk to kids about screen time use?
2: So one of the things that I learned uh, in my, my early days of studying psychology is that you have to replace, when you take something away, you have to replace it with something else, whether that's information or it's an activity or something like that. And when we think about budgeting our time and helping our kids budget our time and not overfill their time uh, with all kinds of activities, you really have to first think about what do you want your kids to to be able to do? And, And have you had a conversation for them to articulate what What's important to them? And I don't care if they're 16 or if they're six, you need to have those conversations so the kids won't be overwhelmed. What's important? What do they want to accomplish in a day? For me, it was make for my boys, I should say, it was they knew they had sports practice after school that took a huge chunk of time. So whether it's practice for that, if it's the arts, you know, if they are doing something that's important for them, you want to make sure that they have time to do that and you budget that time. So having that conversation and understanding what's important to your to your child is number one. And then secondly, you have to replace when they're not on their phone with something else. So for me, when they're little, I replaced it with their bed, bedtime routine, taking their bath, you know, brushing their teeth, those kinds of things. So they're still staying engaged and busy, but not online. And then thirdly, You also need to make sure that you give them time to binge a little, like in the example of my son. Now it was with a video game, but now they can play those games on their phone. Right. Give them some time where they have carved out. um, That's really that really is agreeable to you and to your child around when can they binge? And for parents that struggle with uh, screen time, or if they are like, no, my kids can't have screen time and all this stuff. I equate that to, well, they probably have watched you binge watch shows on Netflix or something like that. So you have to practice what you preach when you have kids because they are the best at throwing it back into your face, right? And whether you agree that they should or shouldn't, this is a different, different sets of rules for our kids today, right? And they are digital natives, so you have to find that happy space around that. Um, So setting those expectations, replacing that that time they would have on their phone with something else that's important to them, and then modeling it, you know, modeling it yourself, and giving them time to binge whatever it might be on that. You know, I'm also really, I'm, I'm I'm really passionate about reward systems. So using using the phone also as a goal, like you know, having that phone time or or whatever, iPod time, whatever it might be, video time as a reward. And when I say reward, I know a lot of parents and educators struggle with that when it's things that we're assigning rewards to behaviors that we feel they should already know how to do. But that's just not the society that we live in. And our kids, again, they're digital natives. So being able to say like, you know, when you do that reward yourself with like, if I do this right here, then I'm going to be able to binge or I'm going to Set aside an hour or two, like my son did. You know, he had some homework he needed to get through, and then he binged a little bit on playing that that game on his video um, on his video uh, equipment. So, whatever it might be, but teaching our kids how to set small goals for themselves and using the screen time as a reward, I think is really important.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, Marlene. I think that the remark about the kids throwing stuff back in our face is, um, is, is let's just say, something I've experienced once or twice. Um, but I will tell you that the, the thing that is, I think, most impressive about the way you lay this out is that it, it necessitates a series of conversations with the children and i think that one of the things um i mentioned the book raising cyberethical kids one of the goals of writing that was to encourage families to engage in these conversations across the course of a child's you know childhood and not to have it be a one-way dictate but really to have it be a back and forth between you and your children about the rules for using these things and and i think one of the great things about that and and it seems to be part of what you did is to give children the opportunity to comment and weigh in on your use so that they feel like they have some input in terms of how the family behaves. And that seems like a really powerful thing for kids.
2: Yeah, I mean, everybody wants a voice, right? And we talk about student voice as educators. I don't know if our parents who are not educators really understand how important it is. And that is, oh, our kids are gonna ask why, just like when we're teaching a lesson, they're gonna ask, why do we need to learn this, right? So if we already present the message to our, our kids or our students with answering that question ahead of time, it actually decreases them pushing back because you've already like taken out their angle, if you will.
0: <laughs> yeah. And what I like about that is it takes it from the fight with them because there's going to be a fight with them. That's natural. There's nothing wrong with that. There's going to be conflict and a fight, but it makes the fight at a time when they're ready to engage in it in a healthy and productive way rather than when something is being taken away in the moment and you know Fred and I talk about family acceptable use policies and if you want more information about that you can go to familycybervalues.com where we have a whole course about how to do that with your family so that you have something in place and that's a really powerful way to to help establish some things up front so that the fight happens up front and later they can say oh yeah you're right I didn't do what I was supposed to. So it gets taken away. It's not always that easy. Don't get me wrong. I'm not naive, but it's a lot easier when they know they've made a mistake rather than they're surprised that you think they've made a mistake. There's a big difference there.
2: Well, and it's, it, to me, it lends itself to, as a parent of having conversations about being, being digital citizens and how to be safe online how to report if, if or if something is is not safe, but even the habits of that. I often find that we need to, our, our parents are lacking the skills and the verbiage on how to have these conversations about uh, cyber safety with their kids. And that's something I did as a as a district administrator, uh, both at, at the school level and district around bringing in professionals to, help parents have those conversations around that because they need to model that as well. So I think when you're laying out those expectations, you're really laying the groundwork, honestly, for all things, parenting, right. How to have conversations about being digital citizens, how to have conversations about the birds and the bees, you know, all those things, because you now you're creating an environment where your kids are used to having a dialogue with you. They still understand you're the parent. And, and there are times that in that dialogue, you can say, now they're, There are going to be times when, if I say like, we just need to do this, you just have to trust me as the adult. But the more you give them uh, a voice in those conversations, when you do have to say, I just need you to do this for me without asking, you know, just a ton of questions, the more likely they're going to do it because you've built up trust with your kids, right? Like there's a lot that we think when we're parenting that our kids inherently trust and love us unconditionally. Yes and no right? As they get older, they have influences from school, from their friends, you know, that make them question the world, which is fine. That's what they should do. But that also includes questioning us as their parents. So we need to have that two-way dialogue. I hope that makes sense.
1: Well, it totally, it absolutely makes sense, Marley. And I think that um, one of the ways that I would come at it is this idea that these conversations, which should be ongoing, allow for an exchange, obviously, between the parent and the child the more explanation i found the that kids have the easier all of this was because you you know the kids begin to learn a reasoning process you know we choose to do this because of that and i think you're correct in that and and jethro as well that that's not going to get rid of conflict altogether it, it just isn't because sometimes a child is going to want to do something that can't happen and It seems to me that what it's ideally the parent isn't saying, just do this because I'm the parent. But the parent is saying, I've listened to you. And we disagree. And unfortunately, we need to do this because I am the parent. And that's a slightly different dynamic, I think. The one other thing I want to toss out, because it's important to do so in almost every one of these shows, is that if we're starting to think about the issue of the birds and the bees, parents really do need to understand that the world has fundamentally changed in terms of child access to sexual material. And so if parents are not providing context as early as they feel comfortable, and maybe a little bit sooner than that, the internet will provide that (laughs) context for them.
2: Right? So I'm gonna have a funny story. So oh my gosh, you might kill me for saying this, but it's true. We laugh at it now. So I have my two boys, uh, Daniel and Colin. And when we left Louisiana, my nephew, who uh, I'm his, I'm also his godmother, which is very, that's like, that's very important in Louisiana. He just couldn't stand it. So we actually raised my nephew and he is five years older than my uh, oldest son. I, I often say I have three with him. So Eiler is his name, Mark Eiler, and he is 27 now, but when he was in high school, and we're doing all the things. Right. But, you know, when you're in high school, you're going to try to, you know, as my as my as my grandfather would say, you know, especially with boys, they start smelling themselves. Right. And so they start they start thinking like they can, you know, they know all the things. Um, <laughs> and so that happened and he was listening to his friends and he was using the computer or the home computer and he was looking up sites that he should not have been looking up. My husband at the time, he actually, uh, and he helped me raise them. He actually went on the family computer because his work computer needed to be charged. And so all of a sudden this popped up and he was like, Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm sure he said a couple of sparkle words too. And he was like, Daniel and Colin better not be on these sites. And I was like, "Uh, they're probably not. It's probably Eiler. So we had a conversation uh, about like how we would handle that. And I told him, I said, you know, I don't mind doing it because I work in the high school. My high school principal, I do this all day long, but I think it would be more impactful if you did it because he loves his Uncle Dan. And so I said, you have to take the taboo out of it. He, when when, when Eiler got home from school, we, he had the conversation, we had the conversation. And then he says, so come on, Eiler, if you want to watch it, we're going to watch it together. We're going to watch it together because I want to make sure you process this because I don't want you to have... Uh, these stereotypes about not only how, how sex is, but I don't want you to be looking down on women and things like that. He was horrified and I
0: believe it. yikes,
2: but he did he uncle Dan came through and they went upstairs and I took the boys and we went something else. So they didn't hear that part of the conversation and I took them out of the house for something. I don't know, ice cream, whatever. And they watched, they made it through five minutes of one, something he had watched. And that's all we needed to do. But that, that openness, even though we were very open and try to explain, you're still going to have hiccups like that, but you have to be willing to still be the parent and go through when it's uncomfortable for you. And it was more uncomfortable for Eiler than it was for his uncle Dan. And it made a (laughs) lasting impression.
1: Yeah. I have no trouble believing any of that. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that is absolutely true. I you know, obviously that's that's a terrific response to one of the most common parenting scenarios, right? And I give you guys a lot of credit for taking that really above board approach to make it a teachable moment. You know, I I think the instinct of course is to just hit the panic button and try to shut everything down and that again, is going to close off these avenues of conversation that you really need to make it a teachable moment, you know, particularly if you're going to be looking at things like sexuality, misogyny, violence, all the rest of that, and understanding how that feeds into us as individuals. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And personally, that's not something that I would want to do with my kids because I don't want to see that myself anyway. Exactly. Exactly. But- But I can understand how in the moment being able to to teach that requires you to to do something that makes you uncomfortable. And, And as Fred mentioned before, talking about these things before you're comfortable with it is really a necessity because these things are out there and easily accessible and we can't forget that. So I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about how our perceptions of screen time have changed, especially during the pandemic and what that means for us now. And there are lots of articles that have been out there where kids love being on the computer and then schools made Zoom mandatory. That's from a Washington Post article in September from last year and has um, changed our some of our perceptions about what screen time is. So can you talk a little bit about what you've seen with that? And then we'll have a discussion about that.
2: Sure. So one of the learning moments that we had as a country when we had to shut down schools almost a year ago, as educators, we often you know, bragged about over 21st century schools and we're doing all these techie things and all that, that was happening in pockets. That was not the education model. And so when we had to go digitally, the, the mistake that many districts made was to try to recreate the school day in a virtual setting. The only research at that time around virtual learning and the success of that was only in higher ed. There was very little research around the effectiveness of virtual learning as well as the best practices of virtual learning for a K-12 or even a pre-K-12 setup. So when we think about screen time now, it is our everyday. And it became apparent very quickly that we have uh, fatigue around paying attention as well as the physical with our eyes and what it does to our brain. And so as a district, we, as districts, we have to, we had to, and many had to, I know I did at the time, the district I was in, had to really push back and say, okay, this is what a day looks like in a virtual learning setting. Now we did have some models because we do have virtual schools. Prior to the pandemic, and their schools were not sitting in front of a computer for seven and a half hours a day. So it really provided an opportunity to rethink education and how we deliver instruction, making sure we bring in those, those brain breaks that we should be doing in class. That we still know a lot of a lot of teachers struggle giving brain breaks in class. You had to do it now. If no more than just to go potty, right? Because you're on screen time and you don't have a bell to like have a, a change of classes. So it really forced all of us to rethink what does that look like? It re- it forced our parents and our communities to rethink what learning looked like in a virtual setting, that they couldn't, your kids couldn't be online and it also forced us to to face the fact that you can only have so many devices on a home internet system. And a lot of people don't know that. And so it also helped hold our internet providers more accountable for the internet service that's lightning fast that they're talking about because everybody's on the computer from kids to the parents working from home as well. So we have to, when we think about screen time, now, screen time is part of it every day or every day, even more so than just a phone. It's the computer. It's the iPad to, to receive instruction. But you have to have those breaks baked into that. Even if you're going to do a breakout room, which so many like Zoom does that now, Google Classroom does that, where you have your breakout rooms where kids can you know, jump in and, and do some, some either independent study or do some group work that's fine, but you have to have breaks for those transitions during the day. When we talk about our students learning completely asynchronous, which I think is a wonderful thing to have because kids learn differently. And we know that we have to give our teachers time to actually plan. So when we think about screen time in our our COVID situation, we have to also rethink teacher planning because school can't go on seven and a half hours because our teachers need time to create content if your school district, uh, like mine did at the time, bought content that was already created, they still needed time to to go through those lessons and experience it and make sure it hit on the standards that they wanted to teach or if they needed to supplement. Because we have to supplement our, our regular curriculum. We know that, right? So having virtual curriculum is no different, but we need to give our teachers time to do that. And they still need to have their, their time for their professional learning on how to continue to be a better virtual teacher. You cannot do that staring at the computer seven and a half hours a day. So you have to bake in those times. You have to bake in those breakout sessions for kids and for teachers.
0: One of the things that, that I'm thinking about right now is when, when you're in school, there's a lot of wasted time. And as a school principal, I used to think that that was not good And now that I see what school looks like without so much wasted time, I'm like, man, I kind of miss that wasted time of school because so much happens in the quote unquote wasted time, because that's when you build relationships. That's when you connect with kids. And what I've seen and heard from teachers and principals now is that there is not time for that because once you're on Zoom or on Google Meet, you want to get to the business of what we're trying to do. And so uh, one perspective that I take away from that is that now that we're all forced to be on the devices um, and there are lots of kids out there who, when they're in virtual school, they are, they've got their camera up, but they're, whether it's on or not is a question too. But while it's up they are they're playing games on their phones or in another tab or something like that. And there's really no way to for a teacher to do anything about that at that point. Um, and, and so you have to recognize that even if they are quote unquote in school, they could be spending a lot of time doing mindless things like playing mindless games instead of actually engaging in what the, the, the content is that they're they're there for, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. And one thing that we did institute, and I saw a lot of districts do this, so I can't say I'm the originator of this idea. Uh, and it was from my friends in higher ed um, that I used as the resource or like the the validation for it is having office hours. And so, giving kids a chance to have that mini lesson, have that independent study, but then to be able to come back to you later, like that independent study didn't mean the computer was on. And having, having that, those office hours available virtually so kids can come back and ask questions with or without their parents, right? Um, to be able to understand certain things. I think that's really important. Restructuring our support for teachers, having office hours for our instructional coaches, our tech coaches, For teachers, so they can come in and ask questions, right, and have almost like that help desk mentality around that as well. I think that's really important in having that space, uh, having that space for that, and then teaching our parents how to be parents during virtual learning, how to be facilitators during that time, and understanding that if you have multiple kids in that home, and mom and or dad are trying to also work, that you know, the older kid might not be able to be live with their teacher because they're having to monitor, you know, their younger brother or sister while they're on. So they may not be able to come on till later. So it's also forced us to think about attendance, right? Attendance has looked differently and it forced us to think about how we grade, but more importantly, it forces our us as educators to think about our curriculum and how we streamline that and chunk that into pieces that um, have those key components of the mini lesson, the independent study, and then the extra support, right? Or the acceleration, one or the other. I think too often we've talked about how virtual learning isn't working for kids and we're not talking enough about how it is absolutely doing great for so many others. I would say the mass majority, I honestly would say the mass majority are doing fine with it. You know, Mm -hmm. would they prefer to still be in schools? Of course, because their friends are there, that kind of thing. But I think, it's, I think it's important that we also tell that story. And last mm-hmm. thing I will say about, you know, the wasted time, hallway time, that was my favorite time as an educator, as a teacher, as a principal, right? Like you stand in the hallways, you will learn all the things, kind of like riding the bus, right? You learn all <laughs> the things. And so I've had some, I've helped some school districts and some teachers have hallway time. And that hallway time is not necessarily between the classes when the kids are taking a break and coming back on Zoom. Sometimes that hallway time could be in the morning before and giving teachers and helping their leaders understand, giving them the flexibility to, to determine when hallway time is, right? Mm. Or having a touch point of something totally fun, some totally unrelated to school, You know, whether it's on the weekend or, or something like that, not saying teachers have to work or leaders on the weekend, but we also know we always work on the weekend as educators too. So giving them the flexibility to say, okay, you know what, my principal, I'm going to, during my office hours, I really need to take care of my own kids at home that I'm also trying to, you know, teach, but I want to do something fun for my kids. So, you know, every Saturday morning at nine o'clock, we get together and we just talk about stuff, you know, whatever it might be really just giving and empowering our teachers to determine what that schedule looks like and to help them communicate that, just like we did with the kids, to their principals and to their parents.
1: That's a really nice thing to think about because you know, throughout my educational career, I remember those hallway times. And once you got past the age where it was more of a bullying issue, it started to be a lot more fun. But I think if you don't mind, Marlene, I'd like to uh, begin to wrap this up with one final question, which I think you've alluded to a couple of times, and seems to me to be one of the most important things that we need to take away from this pandemic experience. And that is, the light that the pandemic has shown on our infrastructure in terms of access across the board of kids to these virtual or remote learning environments. And so I'd love to get your thoughts on what we should be doing as educational systems, as society, to prepare ourselves if this ever happens again. How do we make sure we don't lose kids along the way?
2: So I think um, the, to answer that question, we first have to reckon with the idea, wrap our heads around it, build a bridge and get over it, that virtual learning is not going away. Even with the vaccine, just we know there are kids that won't get the vaccine pre-COVID, right? Like they wouldn't get their shots for, you know, whatever the reasons were, mass majority did. But with us going through the pandemic, all school districts need to be prepared to continue a virtual learning option period. So we have to continue to fortify our structures. So the, your bandwidth, um, access to devices, access to hotspots. And most importantly, who's going to teach it, right? Like we know that we're going to have teachers that we've always had teachers that excelled in, in integrating technology. And they're excelling now, even in spite of, But we need to start building up our professional development for our teachers and our leaders. So for those that will be teaching those virtual students and then all the teachers like you can't you can't go virtual and take some of the great things that have happened and don't include those in your in-person anymore. So we need to kind of shift our instruction to also our professional development. I'm sorry. Also to help teachers bring over the things that work so well virtually into the classroom, right? Like we need to be able to do that. And that goes with instruction, that goes with planning, that goes with um, how do we, well, this is always sub plans right? Like if anything else, we've learned how to do sub plans, right? Like we, there should not be this big folder that you go to if somebody calls in sick, like we should all be digital from, from that standpoint around sub plans, around kids that get sick, snow days. Why do we have to still have this number of, you know, butts and seats as we like to call it when we've been virtual. So we've already shown that we can do so much virtually, there shouldn't be necessarily that idea of, oh, we got to make up snow days because we didn't have butts and seats. No, we have we can go virtual on those days, moving forward, moving forward.
1: All right, well, that's that's a great answer, Marlena. Thank you for covering all of these different topics with us. It's been a great conversation.
2: Yeah, it's
0: almost been like a whirlwind. We covered <laughs> so much in this time. It's been great. And that drum that you just mentioned at the end, I've been banging on that the whole time. Now that we know where we can do virtual, we have to offer it in the future. We can't stop there at the end. So Marlena, thank you so much for being part of the Traps podcast today. We really appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun sharing about a topic that honestly, as you can see, is important to me as a parent, but also as an educator so we can be productive digital citizens and critical thinkers.
1: Perfect conclusion there, Marlena. Thank you so much. That wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, remote and virtual learning, and the growing challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our collection of interesting experts who are helping us to understand the risks and rewards of digital technology.
0: You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones. Fred is at Cybertraps and Marlena is at M. Gross Taylor. And if you're still listening, you must have enjoyed what we've talked about. So please leave us a five star rating and review in your podcast service of choice. And we appreciate having you with us today and look forward to seeing you for our next live show on Monday. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time